Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Buddy Ball podcast. Today, I am joined by Luca Sakota, a rising junior on the Harvard men's basketball team. Luca is originally from Etobicoke, Ontario, Canada, about 15 minutes from downtown Toronto, and is an economics major at Harvard. Luca is my first of hopefully many guests that is a player on either the men's or women's basketball team at Harvard. After a few lightning round type of questions, we get into Luca's basketball origin story from a young kid shooting hoops in his grandparents' driveway to playing on the U16 and U17 Canadian national teams. We then talk about who he is as a basketball player and who he tries to mold his game after. We then dive into his college recruiting process that culminated in his commitment to Harvard in October of 2018. We touch on his, albeit abbreviated, basketball experiences at Harvard, thanks to the pandemic, from playing in Scotiabank Arena, though it will always be the Air Canada Center in his heart, to his expectations for Harvard men's basketball heading into next season. We finish with a discussion about the increasing popularity of alternatives to NCAA basketball, such as overseas and in the G League, a little bit about the NCAA's rules regarding transferring schools, and talk about the loaded Canadian men's national team heading into the Olympic qualifiers later this month, and hopefully the Olympics as well. I think you all are going to enjoy this one with Luca. He was a great person to interview, and I think I see some podcasting or other media ventures on the horizon for him. But first, Chicago! All right, Luca, thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, So I just wanted to start by, you know, what are your plans for the summer? What are you... What are you planning to do? Yeah, so as of now, I'm pretty much just looking to, to train and get ready for the upcoming season. Obviously, last year, being cut short, or I mean, being cut all together, um, kind of just gives me more opportunity to, to train and make sure to come back stronger. Uh, that's my main focus coming back this next year. I only have two years left at Harvard, so trying to make the most of them. And yeah, that's about it. Just trying to find gym time, try, trying to train as much as possible. Talk a little bit about what your like basketball, like your gym activity has been and like, you know, how, how many months did it take before you were actually in the gym again once the pandemic started? Yeah. So in Ontario, I mean, uh, I guess a lot of people know now, but there's just been like so many lockdowns. So it's just been on and off. Like during the school year, I was good from probably around September to December. I had pretty consistent gym time, uh, but it wasn't like we couldn't do any five on five and stuff like that. So just individual training, which was, it was still better than nothing. And I have like a weight room in my basement. So I've been able to lift and stay in shape and all that. Uh, but then around January, we had a, a month long uh, lockdown till about fit, like beginning of February, mid February. So that was just back again to just straight basement and, you know, running around the block and, and things of that nature. And then around March or end of, end of February, I started to get gym time again. And then I remember a month before school ended, another lockdown hit. So for, again, from April, mid-April to basically two, three weeks ago, there was like no gym time anywhere. But now again, uh, I'm, I'm technically considered a carded athlete in Canada because I play for the national teams and stuff. So they allow like high performance people to, 
to have access to gyms. So that's nice at least. And yeah, recently I've just been able to get like two days, especially since school's done, you know, lift in the morning, stretch, whatnot. And then, and then train in the afternoons and yeah, like these gyms, like 10, 15 minutes from my house. So it's, it's been all right. It's okay now. Yeah. Hopefully as more people get vaccinated, those lockdowns stop happening, but yeah, that, yeah. that sounds really frustrating. I, I wanted to start just with a quick lightning round, just asking you a few questions. So the listener can get to know you a little bit before we get into it. So this is just five questions. Pretty easy. Just your answers can be short. So the first one, and I, I think I know the answer already, but who's your favorite NBA player? It's it's close. It's either Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic. I mean, they're both my two favorite ones. So I'm uh, repping yeah. the Jokic jersey today. They're down 3-0, brink of elimination. Oh, I know. Oh, I can't so. forget about JT also. I'm a Celtics fan, so J- mm-hmm. Jason is my guy as well. So those three, I would say. Yeah, those are three young guys. They'll be in the league for a long time to come. All right. What is your favorite or your go-to pregame song Oof. that you like to listen to? It's honestly tough. I don't know. Like, I'm not a huge fan of like the new school rap. Like, I'm okay with like some old school Pretty much anything old like Kanye, even Drake's something that I don't have one specific song, but yeah, anything pretty much old Kanye or old Drake is my go-to before a game. I definitely think that's a good answer. I like both of those guys. Um, all right, next question. Who is your closest teammate at Harvard? It's gotta be my guy Tommy. I am, I mean Danilo as well, but Danilo's gone now. So he's on he's in Santa Clara, so we can't we can't associate ourselves anymore together, but no, yeah, currently Tommy. Yeah, Tommy's my roommate next year. We, we, we really got close during freshman year, and yeah, that's my guy. Okay, this is a, this is a weird one. Um, if you had to eat the same meal once every single day, what would that meal be? I got to go chicken and pasta. Just based off, even when you think about training, you got your protein and your carbs. It's a good mix of each. So I feel like at least once – I mean, to be honest, I eat that a lot anyways – throughout the day so it wouldn't be that much of a change so yeah i would say chicken pasta last question before we get into it uh what in your mind is the biggest difference between the united states and canada <laughs> honestly just attitudes i know americans don't like to hear it but i feel like the canadian it's it's shifting more now though like the whole the con like the perception is that canadians are more like humble or kind of nicer and whatnot but yeah, I would definitely say the Americans like think that in general, they're like the best at most things, <laughs> if that makes sense. But I, it, also, it also depends where you are in Canada. Like in Toronto, you're not just going to like be bombarded with like every all these nice people. So but I, I would definitely say that the, the mentality is different between the two for sure. Yeah, I, I don't take offense to that at all. I, I grew up in in Hawaii, which is, you know, super far away from the rest of the United States. So. Yeah. You know, I'm not like a diehard patriot, so I, I don't yeah. I, I don't take offense to that at all. All right. So let's get into your basketball origin story. So my my first question is just, you know, what age did you start playing basketball? And then at what age? And I assume it, a few years had passed before this. Like, when did you realize that, like, this was kind of your thing and you got serious about it? So I, I actually remember this pretty vividly. But when I was five years old, my dad got me a hoop uh, we put on my grandparents' driveway. And I was just always out there, like literally all the time. And around, I mean, I was playing whatever, just for fun and jokes and all that. And around eight, I started playing like club basketball and like, you know, competitive basketball. And that was also with like a local uh, Serbian team. 
uh, like 20 minutes from my house, just a bunch of like my dad's, my dad's uh, friends and their sons. And we all kind of got together and played for two, three years together. And then around, around uh, grade six. So I was around 12 is when I like sat down with my dad and like, we really got serious about it. And we were like, do you want to like do this for real, for real? And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. It's like what I've always loved doing the most. And then from then it was, yeah, training every day, lifestyle, everything, every major decision was factored around that. So yeah, I would say around middle school, beginning of middle school is when I really started to take it seriously. So you went to King's Christian Collegiate and I haven't done any research on it. So is that like a kind of a small school or is that like a big time basketball school? So we were kind of the first group of guys that kind of put Kings Christian on the map basketball wise. Like it was not known at all for any sports or anything, but kind of our club team during like, I think we were on 13, 14. So just before high school, we, uh, we were on the same team and we all kind of decided to go to this school together. Uh, it's located in Oakville, Ontario, which is about like 15, 20 minutes from my, from uh, my house in Etobicoke, Ontario, which is like right outside of downtown Toronto. And yeah, we all kind of just teamed up basically and, and went to Kings Christian. And then we joined this league called OSBA, which was kind of like the premier league in Ontario for high school basketball. And I kind of put it on the map. Uh, there is, I don't even think there is like a OS, an OSBA men's team anymore for, for Kings. I think they just do women's, but yeah, it was kind of just like that four year stretch of our generation. And no, it was a great time. Uh, I, I, I miss Kings. It was, it was an awesome experience. And I, I want to hear a little bit about your experiences on the Canadian national teams at, at the youth level. Like what were those experiences like? Yeah, no, they were, they were awesome. I mean, anytime you get to represent your country is it's a blessing. And yeah, I played on the U16 and the U17 team. Uh, the U16 team was in this little town in Argentina called Formosa. Honest, it was obviously great playing for your country, but this was like in the middle of nowhere. When I say the middle of nowhere, the downtown town square was really like a little fountain. And there was one hotel in which we stayed in and everything else was like shacks and like super small houses. I know that the arena we were in, there was like stray dogs running around, all of that. So it was like a huge cultural shock. But I mean, we lost we lost to the States uh, in the U16, uh, FIBA Americas. We got silver in the final. And then next year was uh, the World Championships, U17 Worlds. And it was also in Argentina, but this time in, in Rosario and Santa Fe. So a little bit nicer cities, but yeah, no, it, was, it was great. I mean... You learn so much. You play against like the best young players in your in your age group. And it just really helped me develop my game and see kind of what's out there outside of, you know, kind of your comfort zone. And I, I was hoping to play U19 as well. But I got a, I basically had the same injury as Anthony Davis did just now in the in the first round, just a growing strain. And that kind of just took me out of training camp, basically. So that was a shame. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, playing for your country is just a whole different type of experience. So I was I was very grateful for the opportunity to represent. Yeah. As a NBA nerd, I feel the need to ask this question. Was there anyone on either your team, the U.S. team or some other country who's now in the NBA or about to be in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, it was funny. I was watching the draft, this up last draft, and literally like the first 10 people drafted, like seven of them were either like on that team where like I played against them. And I wow. was like, damn, like not that I'm getting old, but I'm like, wow, like we're really getting to this stage now. But yeah, no, literally that U17 team, uh, I, I can list some of the guys off, like RJ Hampton, Jalen Green, Vernon Carey Jr., 
James Wiseman was on U16, but he didn't play the U17. Evan Mobley was like the last man off the bench. Oh Isaiah Stewart. <laughs> that was a stacked team if Mobley Isaiah was the, like the 12th man. Oh. Yeah, Wendell Moore, uh, Jeremy Roach. I can probably name all of them. Like there's so Isaac Okoro was like the second last man off the bench, fifth Gosh. pick in the draft. Right. Uh, Scotty Barnes from Florida State mm-hmm. was there. And there was just so many guys. Like Jalen Green came off the bench, was like the MVP. It was just, you know, there were studs over there. But, I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed going against those guys. But, yeah, watching the draft was just like, damn. <laughs> we played against all these guys like a year ago. So, yeah, I hope, hope to get there one day and, and be with them again. Now that we've talked a little bit about your basketball experiences, I, I want to just take a step back and ask about who you are as a basketball player. So, I know that NBA comps or just player comps in general can get a little toxic, um, you know, because if you say just because this guy is left, like, let's say Kevin Porter Jr. is coming out of USC and you go, oh, this is the next James Harden because he kind of plays like him. Well, that's different than saying he is going to be James Harden. So you don't have to hold back, but, you know, you don't have to say like you're as good as this player. But like if if you're watching, you know, some high level basketball, who's like what parts of that person's game do you have? Like who are your kind of guys that you watch a lot? So I don't I don't know if there's like one specific player I can like pull my finger to. I know also Coach Amaker like says he sees some Gordon Drog uh, Dragic in me, which mm-hmm. I can see. I mean we're different like he's left and I'm right handed, but just kind of like the way they think the game and, and use their skill, I can see some of my game in his. Uh, basically like kind of tall point guards, shooting guards, kind of combos that can score the ball, uh, but also you know create for teammates. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 weird. I don't like watch and be like exactly like I see myself. But that guy, Goran Dragic, obviously, is a good player. But I, I just like watching multiple different guys and just taking little snippets. I mean, Luka Doncic is always my favorite player to watch. So I just watched a lot of how he reads the pick and roll. I mean, he's obviously like bigger and different body type and all that. But I just love the way he reads the game. And I just try to take little snippets of of individual people. I mean, even Jokic, like obviously completely different positions, but. You can take stuff from the way people think the game, I feel like, more than like physical attributes, if that makes sense. I definitely have a soft spot for Eastern European guys. So <laughs> yeah. uh, this, this conversation is, is awesome for me. Um, one other thing I, I wanted to ask before we get into your kind of recruiting process, what is maybe like your favorite basketball moment? Or kind of, is there one game that you felt like you were just completely in the zone you could just not be stopped and you you kind of go back to it like you're just thinking about it a lot. Yeah. I mean, for, for like a game, there's been like a couple. I remember in, uh, when I played for the provincial team for Ontario, there was, like, there was like one game, went to double overtime, and we lost by like two, which is unfortunate, but I was like anything I threw up. I mean, yeah, there was also a couple of games in high school. There was one, one game, a playoff game, also like 35 or something. But like my most memorable game that like I kind of looked back and was like, wow, that was like, to be a part of was was my last year playing in the the biosteel canadian game which is basically like the mcdonald's game for for canadian guys and that was like my last kind of high school game ever and you know there was just like all the guys i played with over the years was like that last year together kind of just going at each other one more time uh and i coach started me that game too which is pretty cool you like you get your name announced and all that and then also the game at scotia bank arena uh, for harvard where you start all the Canadians and playing in the ACC where, yeah, Scotiabank Arena. But I, I always call it the ACC. I don't care that, that the name got changed. It will always be the Air Canada Center in my eyes. But, yeah, that was also cool, just playing in front of families and friends. So I, I don't – it's weird. I don't really remember performances. I kind of just remember memories because, like, 
I feel like those are more powerful in a way and like they, they stick with you longer. Like, I don't care if like, obviously you care how you perform, but like you take, when you look back, I always find that kind of the cool aspect of it is always more important to me than like actually how you perform. That's a, that's a really good answer. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, getting into your college recruiting process. So I think the first natural question to ask is, you know, you're technically, even though Canada seems pretty similar to the U S you're technically an international player. So what was that process like deciding whether you wanted to go to a school in the U S or a school in Canada? And how are you kind of thinking about that? Well, to be honest, from like day one, it was always for me, like D D one or nothing. I'm not saying like looking back now that like every kid should like focus on that because there's obviously so many good D two, D three and like U sports school, but I was just like always my goal from day one. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. And then Obviously, like around high school, I knew it could be a possibility, uh, especially playing for the national team and all that. And then around like the the summer of my junior year, we we played on like the UAA circuit, which is, like the Under Armour circuit. And I like didn't I didn't play on those circuits until grade eleven because like I just wanted to focus on training and developing my skills in the early years of high school. But then when I got there, I got a couple offers from like Northeastern, Santa Clara, Harvard eventually. Uh, Harvard actually first, Coach Esky first saw me in Argentina for when we played U17. Uh, and he reached out then and then they came to, they came to a couple games in I think Indiana for the Under Armour circuit. And then they just like asked me to come on a visit. I was official, I was currently like at that time considered a class of 2020. So because in Canada and, and the States, I think the education system is different. So uh, we're technically allowed to go one more year of like a grad school so we can match up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was in grade 12, but I technically had one more year that I could have gone. But I just I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of like the recruiting process in general, just like the phone calls and stuff. I don't know if it was like this for you, too. But, you know, I, after a while, when school started to like contact, especially if it's like during the school year, you're doing a project and then they call you out of nowhere and you talk for like two hours and another school calls you talk for two hours and I'm like obviously it's awesome like I'm not gonna sit here to complain like it's obviously a blessing but you know you got to get your schoolwork and all that stuff done so I was like pretty set from an early like early on that I, I want to reclass and just like go after high school I don't want to do that fifth year just to like I just want to pick my school settle down and get ready for it so when I went to my uh visit I was like, I basically told them, they told me that they'll take me either 19 or 20, which I was like pretty happy about. And then I, that also showed me that they wanted me no matter what. So I went there, offered me on the unofficial visit, on my official visit. Sorry. Actually, I don't, I don't even remember. I think no, they offered me on the unofficial and then I came back for an official. And then I committed after, uh, I think an er, yeah, early, late October. And yeah, the, the rest is history. I mean, I wasn't the most heavily recruited guy especially because of like that reclass late I know many schools also thought I was like say 2020 because I didn't come out and was like on my Twitter or whatever like hey I'm going 2019 basically if the coach called I'd be like listen this is like the deal um there was some like other schools that wanted me specifically for 2020 but I was like no I'm not I'm not doing this another year and yeah I mean it was it was was a pretty it wasn't easy decision but I mean it was hard to turn down uh like as as you know so and many benefits that come with it for sure. Yeah. I, that a lot of that resonated with me. Um, I mean, I, you know, wasn't a huge recruit and men's volleyball. There's just not a lot of teams that have it at, at the division one level, but 
Harvard was always like the school that I that I wanted to go to. So yeah, I, I don't know if it was like this for you, but there were a lot of schools that like right when they could start contacting me, they they did. And I got really yeah. excited about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, all these top schools want me. But then I kind of realized that it's these assistant coaches jobs to like yeah. just cast a wide net because obviously not everyone is going to say yes. Mm-hmm. So it took a while for me to, to realize like who actually was genuinely interested and who was just trying to like use me as kind of like a backup option. Yeah. Um, was it like that for you? Oh, I, I can completely agree. I mean, even when you see like on people's Instagrams and stuff and Twitters, I'm not a big like post on social media guy about this kind of stuff. But when they say like, oh, these like 50 offers, I always like ask myself, okay, like how many are you your first option there? Because, you know, right, there's always right. like three, four schools that you're their first option. And like they recruit you the heaviest. Like some guy may offer you as like, like you said, fourth, fifth guy. And then before you commit, I've heard stories, they call the other guy, tell him like, hey, this happened with me with one school. They're like, hey, we have this one guy waiting you want to commit or not. And, uh, yeah, and no, I completely agree. So it's tricky. I mean, people sometimes hear like, Oh, he has all these offers, but then you got to ask yourself like who actually wants you once. So yeah, no, it's, it's a tricky time and it's hard to navigate too. Cause you're not going to get any, any like set answer of, mm-hmm. uh, of what, what they want. So you, you've yeah. kind of already alluded to this, but I feel the need to ask like why Harvard, like if, if you can kind of just, just explain it in a few sentences of like why that was the school that you ultimately decide to go to? Well, whenever somebody asks me that question, the first thing I say is why not? And then, and then they kind of be like, well, yeah, he's got a point, but I mean, the name, obviously we don't like to beat around it. The connections that come with it, uh, the reputation, all of that high level education, education was always number one in my household. I mean, basketball was always right there with it, but if I wasn't performing in the classroom, you can say goodbye to basketball. So I always you know, wanted to go high-level education. Harvard was also, at the time, recruiting me 25th in the country. So it wasn't like I was sacrificing one for the other. And yeah, it was just the best of both worlds, man. And pretty, pretty hard to turn down. And I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Yeah, the way I was thinking about it was, and maybe this wasn't the best way to think about it, but if I got to a school my freshman year and I like blew out my knee or something and, and could never play volleyball again, like, would I actually want to stay at this school? And I don't yeah. want to name specific schools, but a lot of the other schools that were recruiting me, you know, good volleyball schools, but I think I'd be miserable there if that volleyball component wasn't there. At Harvard, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I've had a great time with the volleyball program. I, I think I'm going to have a great last year, but I definitely would want to stay even if volleyball wasn't an option for me anymore. So yeah, yeah. that's, I think a lot of Harvard athletes feel that way. So it's, it's yeah. definitely a cool thing. And now I, I want to get into just your Harvard basketball experience as a whole i know it's been cut a lot shorter than you thought it would be like by this point what you've spent more time away from campus than on campus while you've been while you've been enrolled and you you kind of alluded to it um earlier but one thing i i was following is so, so that was your what one of your first collegiate games when you guys went to canada and coach amaker decided to start all three canadian guys that must have been a pretty cool cool moment right no, it was, it was sick. I mean, I think it was, I don't remember the exact game, but I think it was around like game five or something mm-hmm. of that sort because it was in November. So it was definitely early on. Uh, but yeah, he told us like, yeah, we're going to start all you guys and played like significant minutes as well. We lost to a pretty strong Buffalo team, but it was, it was a close game. Um, but yeah, I mean, all my family and friends were there. Your name goes up on the big screen before. That's like what you dream about as a kid. Uh, so no, it was a super cool experience. It, as the overall Harvard experience, I mean, like you said, we had three quarters of the season freshman year, got cut right before March Madness. 
we were probably the favorites to make it to March Madness. The tournament was at Harvard. Luckily, it's going to be at Harvard next year too. But yeah, even last year, sit and wait, watching everybody else play, which was not great. Um, but more motivation. And yeah, I mean, we got a year back to play somewhere else if we need to, which was appreciated, I guess, by all of us. But no, I know we're all super focused on these next two years and making the most out of it. And and yeah, trying to go to the tournament both years and make a little run. So we're excited. We're definitely excited. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you kind of just mentioned like what the expectations are for next season, but just a little maybe overview of, of the roster. Like, I mean, it's so hard to say like who's actually going to be playing, but like, who do you think are going to be your main guys and just like what can what can yeah. people look for in the Harvard men's basketball team I guess so I mean I mean for me personally and I'm sure other people feel a lot this way like this last senior class that we had during my freshman year was considered I guess the one they were like top 10 I think recruiting class and all seven left and the narrative became like oh it's gonna be this huge drop-off uh, next year when we come back you know all their key pieces are gone which isn't true but they were like a bunch of key pieces that are leaving Huge drop off like Yale, Princeton, all these schools. We were, we were projected like middle of the pack. Um, we we're always like near the top. So I know I took offense to them. Like we're not we're not going to fall off here. I mean, a lot of us freshmen too. We're ready. We're ready to play. We're, we're we're good players. As for like key players, honestly, hard to say. I mean, when you think about it, half we're going to have what 16, 17 guys returning. Only like eight have played somewhat minutes. I mean, during the last two years. Uh, we have like technically nine freshmen that have never played. So I have no clue. Uh, I hope, I hope to be in the rotation, hope to be playing big minutes, but as of key players, it's a weird year, man. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to leave that to coach Amaker. He knows what he's doing. So yeah, yeah just work hard and, and we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's going to be definitely a unique and interesting year with the amount of newcomers and maybe we have juniors now. So we got to take on the leadership role, which is, which is a little interesting, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited for that. That's definitely the right answer. I, I realized that question kind of put you in a hard spot, but yeah, I mean, one of the things, I mean, the last time I was on Harvard's campus, I was a, I was a, like an underclassman, I guess you could say, and now I'm a yeah. rising senior and one of the captains. And it just feels like, yeah. it, it just feels like, like what? Like I'm, I'm like, I think I'm the second oldest guy on, <laughs> on the team now. And it's just, yeah. I mean, and the one thing that we're kind of facing as a volleyball team, and I don't know how much this, this has been talked about with you guys, but obviously you're relying on people individually to be like doing their workouts, staying in yeah. shape. And I, I think it kind of like weeds some, some people out or, I mean, the people who actually care are the ones who are going to be staying in shape, but have you guys had any conversations about like what the expectations are, or is it kind of like understood that like, you know, like this, this just is the expectation. Like you need to stay in the best shape you can. You need to play as much basketball as, as yeah. you possibly can. I mean, the coaches have been understanding if you can't really get five on five as much. Thankfully, I've been able to lately start getting some runs in, which is good. But we have a saying, you know, what hap what you do in the in the winter. I mean, what you do in the summer shows in the winter during mm -hmm. our season. So, I mean, all our guys are pretty good in, in staying in shape and kind of holding each other accountable. Uh, I mean, my my mindset's always just been control the controllables. I mean, work as hard as you can, stick to your routine, continue the process. Eventually your day will come. I kind of view this last year as maybe like an injury year, technically. Obviously you can still train and stuff, but you're out for a year. Uh, yeah, work as hard as you possibly can to get back. But I'm sure that all the guys will be will be fine when we're back. It's weird. Like you can you can do all all the things like staying in shape, training every day. 
But until you start playing basketball, there is nothing like basketball in shape. Like that first run back, I was fine. Like timing is a little off, but that comes 15, like 20 minutes in. But yeah, just like the basketball shape, it takes a good maybe like week or two of playing basketball to, to get back in that kind of shape. But yeah, just like getting timing and all that. Uh, it's not like we're playing basketball for the first time. We've been playing for such a long time now that it's more just kind of getting the timing down, getting kind of that feel back, which doesn't take too, too long. And, and yeah, uh, I think I think we'll be fine. Now, how about you guys? Uh, do you know if you guys are – your players are, are focused and – and look at the stay shape as well. I hope we are. I mean, I we got sent our summer workouts and they they like officially start tomorrow. The last four weeks have just been kind of leading up to it, like not yeah. not doing heavy weight, but like they're actually supposed to start tomorrow. But it's it's obviously like honor system, like that's how it always is over the summer. But we also some guys haven't been on campus in what 15 months. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's just uh you you mentioned like basketball shape and that you know, like like just running on your own is different than like sprinting back and getting into a stance on, on, on defense. Right. And I think there is going to be, you know, there's one thing to do like jump boxes and just be kind of running around. It's, and it's another thing to be like blocking, like blocking yeah. and blocking again and blocking again. And yeah. like how, how you feel after three hours of, of doing that. So luckily, I mean, you guys start in like the winter, we our first games in January. So we'll have the whole fall, to kind of get back into shape, but I'm pretty close with some people on the women's volleyball team and their, their first game is like the first weekend in September. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to be so rusty and that that's gonna, they're going to have to work really hard in those like two weeks that they're together. And I mean, maybe it helps that they're, they're in the Ivy league and, you know, you're just playing the other teams that all haven't played this season, but like we were in the EIVA because Princeton is the only other team that has men's volleyball. So mm-hmm. we're playing against all these teams that had a full season this year, like Penn state went to the NCAA tournament and we're going to play them two or three times. And yeah, it's um, I'm excited, but also like, like need to go after it this summer and get into really good shape. Yeah. Um, moving the conversation a little different direction. So I think, you know, as, as a Harvard basketball player, you're in a much different position because I feel like, pretty much everyone who goes to some sort of Ivy league school, like stays all four years. Right. But obviously like the, you know, the top basketball players or what, what you consider the top basketball schools, I guess a lot of those players stay for a year and then, and then go to the draft. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, or get, get your thoughts on the alternatives that are, that are coming up to that, whether it's going international, whether it's the G league ignite program, um, I don't want to be too leading with this question, but like, what are your overall thoughts on that? And like, where do you see the top players migrating to like in, in the coming years? I mean, I'm, I'm all for as many options as possible, player empowerment, giving, giving them the opportunity to do whatever they please. You know, it's their life. Obviously there has to be some direction on what you can do and what you can't do, but even the one and done rule, I mean, I wasn't always a huge fan of that. I understand it, but if, if a kid has an opportunity to go and be the first pick and make $30 million or $40 million straight off the bat guaranteed, I mean, if your family's struggling, I, I believe you should have the opportunity to do so. Um, and even if you, if you, some of these schools, if you go to college and you leave, if you're guaranteed that much money, you can always come back and finish like a year or two. So I feel like for first round picks, if you're guaranteed, it's a uh, makes sense. Um, I feel like the, the new, 
G League Ignite is pretty is a pretty cool thing. That's also for like the top top recruits mainly. Even that overtime league that that just mm-hmm. occurred. I don't know. I haven't been keeping up that much with the whole high school like recruiting it up and kind of these these programs. But I feel like the the passing of like the name, image, and likeness was a big step for the NCAA. No brainer in my opinion. I mean, I don't know why why it's been, like why you can't promote yourself. It's not like you're taking money from anybody. It's literally own self to make as much money as you possibly can. I mean, you can go work. Why can't you just like, if someone wants to give you money, why can't I take it? Right. Like, I understand the whole agent. I agree with that too. I mean, you don't want that stuff to happen, but if some guy just wants the person to promote their product, I feel like you should, you should be able to do that. Uh, so I feel like that step maybe will kind of change the mindset of some of these top players to indeed go to college. I feel like, I mean, it also depends on kind of what you want to do and how much you do value education as like a, as a whole. Uh, and like, that's more of like an upbringing thing, but the college experience is a cool one, man. And I think it doesn't get talked about enough in, in, in that sense. It's pretty, I remember obviously it's completely different times, but like when Michael Jordan was like supposed to go a third pick and he like didn't, he was almost not going to leave just because he loved the college experience and everything that it had to offer. So I feel like it will always kind of be a, a more, personal opinion or like mindset based uh thing for for a lot of people and as long as there's options for for everybody a wide variety i think it's 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 a good idea and it's it gives the players the opportunity to pursue whatever path they they want to so yeah yeah i i think i have a pretty similar stance on that you know like more options is a good thing and to the people who say like oh these other options are like ruining like college basketball I just I don't think that's true like just because maybe someone like Zion goes to the G League Ignite instead of going to Duke for example like college basketball is still like you know March Madness will be sick either way exactly (laughs) like and I don't think you'll really like notice the talent drop like some of these top college players like they aren't even making it to the NCAA tournament like Ben Simmons was the number one pick on a bad LSU team like I don't think Anthony Edwards I mean they didn't have a tournament but like Georgia wasn't very good you know so I I think that I don't think people should be scared of players having more options and yeah as as someone who's currently working for the NBPA like definitely I'm all for the player empowerment players having as many options as they can one other one other thing I wanted to ask you about is um so there's been some talk recently about like the more lax standards of like the transfer portal. Like people can kind of just transfer and play right away. And, you know, I don't think many Ivy league athletes transfer really, but you know, Mm -hmm. it it is a thing like a, you know, like that, um, Juzang for UCLA, like he went to Kentucky for a year, wasn't playing transfer, transfer to UCLA. And you know, that that's like a good outcome of it. Like, you know, he, he got to play more, but the downside of it and that, you know, some of these, maybe old school, shall I say people like a lot of people say that if they didn't, you know, fight through the battle of like not playing for multiple years and like grind through it and then finally get over the top, like they, they would never like become the player that they would. So like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I have a couple points on, on, on this issue, but I think there's, I think the, the one-time exception is a great idea. I mean, there are certain times, like if your coach leaves or, like maybe some outfall occurs. You don't want to just like stay there for four years and just waste it. So I understand. Right. And I, and I like the, the one-time exception rule. Uh, I don't think they should be able to like go every year, switch a school. In my opinion, I think that's, I think then that comes to the point of like, listen, if you're changing the school every year, is it really kind of the coaches and the players or is it more you? 
Like you kind of right. got to look at stuff in the mirror and be like, maybe I'm the problem here. But like there, there are certain things that happen. And I think the, the one year should be, should be allowed. Uh, and you also got to think about it. Like, so the coaches can leave for a better opportunity and more money whenever they want, you know, like um, I'm trying to think of, the, of an example, but I think it was maybe Indiana or something. Uh, some huge, I don't know if it was any, but it was some school, the coach signed a huge deal and he left the school. Right. And now what about those players? What if they can't transfer and a new and a new coach comes in and he's bringing in their own, his own players, then what? So like, I, I just never really understood the, the thought process of, okay, so the coaches can make all this money and make, they can leave every year if they want to and go to a new program, but the players are stuck with whatever they choose from the start and they can't change. So I think that one year exception is, is a great idea. But I wouldn't encourage, you know, guys transferring four schools in four years because, like I said, then then what's really going on here? And there's like a common denominator on this thing still. Right. Uh, I hope I, I guess that answered the question a little bit. Last thing I wanted to touch on um, is the Canadian men's basketball Olympic team or potential Olympic team. Uh, it was in the news recently because. It's, it's been talked about for years. Like if all of the Canadians actually came together and played, they'd be yeah. pretty damn good. But I think at the world cup, Ken Birch was the only NBA player. So yeah. I was pleasantly surprised when I saw this year's roster, just to read it off for people. Um, this is like the qualifier for, for the Olympics, but with this roster I'm about to read, I think they're going to qualify. Um, Andrew Wiggins, Nikhil Alexander Walker, RJ Barrett, Ken Birch, O'Shea Brissett, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, Lou Dort, Corey Joseph, Trey Lyles, Dwight Powell, Tristan Thompson, Michael Mulder, Kelly Olenek, all NBA players. And there's yeah. even Anthony Bennett and a few guys that are playing in, in Europe. So like, that's a squad. So like, and what Shane do you and Jamal aren't there? They're both injured. So mm-hmm. they can, that's, that's right. Yeah. If, if, if the backcourt was Shay and Jamal, and then you had like Barrett and who, whoever of those bigs are playing yeah. the best, like, that team can, can compete with the U S so like, I mean, even without Shay and, and, and Jamal, what do you think of this team's chances this summer, assuming the Olympics happen and assuming yeah. they qualify for it? I mean, it all depends on how they mesh at the end of the day. Like you can have a lot of great players, but if they don't work well together, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously the names are there and that's great. It's a great step forward. So at the end of the day, now it's just going to be a matter of, of how they end up working together. It's crazy now that you like read off the list, like during the summers, all like guys who played for Canada in the past, like all the age groups, there's like this summer uh, training facility called the NTC, the National Training Center. And like half of those guys would come to like runs, like two summers ago when I played against them. It's a while now they're like, they're going to the Olympics and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, like like, like you just said, I think maybe all except like one or two are in the NBA. So Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely got a squad of Canada basketball is on the come up and uh, yeah, hopefully they can qualify. Hopefully. Yeah. I think it's later this month. Um, And a lot of this, this Olympics is going to depend on, you know, who's actually deciding to play. Like, I don't know. It seems like the nuggets are going to be out in a, in a matter of hours. Uh, So I I think, I think Jokic will play for Serbia, but like, you know, like if the Bucks keep winning, like is Giannis going to play for Greece? I think they still have to qualify even. Um, I, but at the end of the day, I, I think if the right U.S. players play, I think that's kind of it. But as we've seen, like the U.S. has kind of been the favorite every time the Olympics happen. And they have been upset before. I mean, I know it wasn't their best squad, but they came in like seventh at, at the World Cup. So yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I like international basketball because it's, you know, a little bit different, different from right? the NBA, different. like, you know, like different balls, slightly different rules. Um, so there's definitely an, an adjustment. Um, but 
you know, watching those US teams kind of all come together and, you know, having like a Carmelo Anthony in his prime being like the fourth option, like yeah. just kind of stuff like that. Like, oh, those are good. But yeah, I'm I'm really rooting for Canada because I, I think they could, you know, match up with the US actually pretty well if if yeah. they all, as you said, mesh together. Yeah, yeah. If Canada and Serbia both make it, that's I'm, I'm happy with it. So yeah. But like you said, the rules, man, it's a lot different. Uh I don't know if you remember this. Remember when they asked Doncic and like his fresh and his like first year? He's like, how do you find the defense and stuff? And the NBA's like, I find it easier. Right. Everybody was like, oh, how is that possible? I'm like, when you think about it logically, it makes perfect sense. In Europe, you're allowed to have defensive three in the key. So there's mm-hmm. almost somebody in the paint. You take that out, you literally get into the paint. You got one defender guarding two people, either lob or you go to the rim. Like it's it's much simpler. Obviously, they're more athletic and it's harder to finish over. But the the decision making and like the defense, it's more easy to manipulate. So like that made perfect sense to me. Like when you watch. You can like take the ball off the rim too if it hits. Mm-hmm. There's so many other rules and like makes it much harder for teams to score. And some people may not like that, but like as actual basketball, you know, Savon and like studies the game, it's it's refreshing to see. So I agree, I agree with you. I like watching international basketball. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Luca. I think this was a really good episode. I think people are going to learn a lot about you and your upbringing and your basketball story. So yeah, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for having me.